Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to continue our series, A Better Human Story, uh, with Dr. Andy Schmuckler. Who's Dr. Andy Schmuckler? A prize-winning author, a former Democratic con candidate for Congress in Virginia's very rich Shenandoah Valley, former talk radio show host, summa cum laude graduate of Harvard University, award-winning distinction in a program specifically created to accommodate his original theory explaining how civilizations have developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers around the United States. In continuation with our series, today we're going to discuss three important articles that he wrote, specifically The Right of Secession, a better human story that I'm going to want to explore. What was the Confederacy about? And the spirit that drove us to civil war is back. Dr. Schmuckler, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm fine. You're fine. Well, anyhow, um, Dr. Yeah. Schmuckler, you wrote this piece called The Right of Secession. And I must admit that after reading it and after speaking to you for several weeks, my first thought was, huh? You mean you really would have voted for or if you if it were were in your power, you you would have allowed the South to secede. No, well that's that's a weird place to start. But <laughs> I know it's you a know, weird my, place my, to start. But I I, I think the, it. Well, I could have called the piece more accurately. I could have called it the question of the right of secession because my right. point in the article was that the South clearly behaved illegally. That it was a crime against the constitutional system to secede. Whether or not they had the right of secession, they definitely didn't have the right to assert it on their own. So it's it's an example of the lawlessness at the center of the whole thing. They would not abide by their constitutional requirement because the president said they had no right. They said, yes, we do have a right. There is a way that we Americans had agreed with the Constitution to decide conflicts like that. And that's to take it to the Supreme Court. If the Supreme, if I had been on the Supreme Court, I might have said I would be willing to argue the possibility that the South did have the right to secede. Doctor, but, but, uh, go but, ahead. but that's favor. not important. The important thing I, is we see lawlessness at the center of the Confederacy. Great. Doctor, please come a little bit closer to the center of the screen, because right now you're kind of on the on, on the right side. So a little more close. I appreciate that. Oh, okay. A little bit more. A, a little bit more. Yeah. I'm center left, aren't I? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, let me let me let me first tell you uh, when when I started by saying it surprised me the intent of that statement wasn't to make the assumption that somehow you thought these guys were doing anything correctly I just thought again that that within the document in two or three places where you said you you may have allowed them to secede you know uh, based on how you think it it was just a bit shocking to me but it, you never you never came out you never ever attempted to say that somehow the uh the the people from the, the south was in any correct good position and please you know, stay in the let screen. me just say let me just say you know what i say about myself with respect to that issue is 
that when the Slovaks and the Czechs, not very many years ago, decided to dissolve uh, the, the Czechoslovakia into two different countries, I felt supportive of uh, of the Slovaks in their desire. I felt, okay, self-determination of people. It's a basic principle, one of Woodrow Wilson's 14 points. Likewise, I have a lot of sympathy for the Scots who who um, want to be part of the EU and to dissolve their connection with the UK. So in principle, I think that maybe people do have the right through some kind of agreed procedure uh, to dissolve a nation. I'd be willing to hear that case. But my point is, and here's the important thing about this whole issue, is that when we look at what the South did in seceding, which was a criminal act, we can see the lawlessness that now we see from a force that looks very much like it in attempting a coup d'etat rather than accepting the outcome of an election. We can see lawlessness in the refusal to submit to legitimate authority over them when they lose. 1860 and 2020, two two elections in which something that looks like the same force refuses to accept, oh, we lost this election. In the one case, a whole region of the country votes to, to secede and say, we are not going to live under the authority of this uh, president who opposes us. And here in 2020, we refuse to accept the legitimacy of a, uh, of a president who beat our guy fair and square. We're going to pretend that he stole the election. It is looking at the same thing manifesting in somewhat different ways. And what I think is important to notice is you can have a coherent force that moves through the generations in a cultural system so that by the time I wrote that piece in 2014, the Republican Party looked a whole lot to me like the slave power that I had studied in some depths, uh, starting with teaching American history and then getting caught up into studying the 1850s. And I saw, geez, I, I use the image of um, uh, facial recognition technology. You know, the, 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 uh, the system, the observant system sees something in the airport or whatever, the same face, and it's able to recognize, and it says, this is the same guy in this place as as, as in that place. And if you look at, at, at the way human cultures work and how the forces evolve, the force that drove us to civil war was very closely paralleling the nature of the force as it of the Republican Party back in 2014 when I wrote this. Now I will say that when Trump comes in, there's a different spirit. There, there are a lot of parallels, but it's not the same. Trump's spirit is not the same as the spirit of uh, of the slave power. It's not Robert E. Lee and and Alexander Stevens and those. You know, he he's a thug of a very different kind. These were gentlemen who whose power and wealth was based on enslaving other people. 
That's a kind of thuggishness, but it's not Trump's kind. Anyway, Trump has muddied the waters is what I'm trying to say. But back in 2014, we could see that there was a spirit that moved from 1850 through the Civil War, through the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, through the Jim Crow South, through Plessy versus Ferguson saying separate is equal, through all the lynchings. We can see that spirit moving through the culture, being transmitted from generation to generation as an undercurrent in the or, or an overcurrent, you know, fighting, fighting Brown versus the board and refusing to integrate. We can see it moving through American culture and then it takes over the Republican Party. That's interesting. Uh, I must say that you closed the article with the following statement. We could remember we should remember that when a part of the nation chose to depart from the Constitution and turn instead to force, the whole nation suffered grievously, be especially be as but especially the part that made the what kind of choice? The lawless choice. Well, you know, I, I define evil. I mean, I I'm careful about the stuff I'm saying, you know, in terms of working it through. I define evil as a coherent force that consistently works to make the human world worse. Or you could say consistently works to make the world more broken. So what happened in the 1850s is that there was a kind of brokenness, which you can sort of see moving in in the whole system. It's got to do with slavery, but it's also got to do with huge power imbalances in, in the plantation cultures of the South and, and a variety of other things. Uh, just like, you know, you can, the, the brokenness of the world that, that, that came together and it, it, it consistently works to make the human world worse. Well, boy, what a bonanza the Civil War was for that. I mean, here we are 150 years later and the wounds still have not healed. Talk about a big coup for the force of brokenness. And now we're dealing with the new manifestation of that, which now threatens the very survival of American democracy, as well as exacerbating the tensions between the races, as it always did, as well as uh, widening the gulf between the richest and the rest. You know, and all the other things it does, you know, the denying climate change, wherever you look, giving us a Supreme Court that's corrupt and a, part of, and, and a partisan force that only pretends to care about justice, all kinds of ugliness. It's all aligned there. Now, uh, in your second article, what was the Confederacy about? As you know, right now in our current body politic, uh, the the Republican Party who are who now represent represent for all practical purposes the the, the the aims of the Confederacy, uh, they would want one to believe that this this thing that we are uh, the, the, the 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 accusations that we put on them as far as uh, their racial inclinations, their their socioeconomic inclinations are are false. I think you kind of laid rest to that with this other article where you pointed out, no, you can't argue when even the vice president of this Confederacy stated. Things like we consider, quote unquote, the Negro lesser. So please expand on, on what you're trying to well, talk about. Well, back in uh, about 2002, maybe, um, uh, 
one of the great Civil War uh, scholars of our time wrote a piece in the New York Review of Books where he 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 um, he lays out how almost immediately after the Civil War, uh, the ruling class of the South um, started putting out false, patent falsehoods about what the, the Civil War had been about. You know, the lost cause, uh, uh, states' rights. I mean, all a bunch of crap. I mean, all you got to do is look at the statements that they made, like like that cornerstone speech uh, by the vice president, uh, Alexander Stevenson, you know, saying that the, the foundation of our new government is that great moral principle that the white man is superior to the black man and the black man should be uh, this enslaved by the white man. I mean, that's basically what he says right out there at the beginning, you know, before the war actually uh, comes to blows. And yet, you know, Generations in the South are, are being fed the big lie that the war wasn't about the enslavement of black people by white people. I mean, it was just, but the big lie. So one of the things you see is that between the leadership in this particular political culture and the common people common white people. There is a relationship of deception, manipulation, and exploitation. The, you know, the, the, here I am in Virginia looking out over the Shenandoah Mountains. Those Virginians that uh, charged up uh, Cemetery Hill and got slain by the thousands uh, at Gettysburg were fighting to defend a so uh, an economic and power system that was considerably contrary to their interests. I mean, the Irish coming into the New World back uh, in 1840s and like that during the famine, they chose to go to the North because they were smart enough to know you don't want to be competing against slave labor. All they get paid is like what livestock gets paid, enough to keep them alive and able to work. You don't want to compete against that. So the Irish went to New York and Philadelphia and Boston. They didn't go to Atlanta, compete against slaves. Nonetheless, these guys have been manipulated. Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily know exactly how it worked, but I really did study a fair amount. And it looks to me like that the center of the manipulation was the idea that when anybody criticizes slavery, they are insulting the honor of the South. They were going to harness the the ideals of honor that, I don't know, the Scots-Irish or whoever, you know, came to the New World with this, you know, you don't want to be dishonored. You know, that's important in certain, you know, there, there's a book by Wyatt Brown about the uh, ethic of honor in this in, in American South before the Civil War. So they get manipulated into being willing to fight and die by the hundreds of thousands to defend a system that was contrary to their interests. Now, what do you see when you look at the uh, at, at the Republican Party and its uh, uh, its supporters now? It's the same damn thing. I mean, their big desire to to, to uh, repeal Obamacare. They were only interested in fighting to get more power for themselves, even willing to inflict 
significant injury on millions of their own supporters by eliminating what had finally given them a, a, a modicum of health care security, the kind of health care security that the citizens of every other major Ameri uh, and, you know, advanced society have. They don't care. Just like the slaveholders didn't give a damn about the poor whites, there, there, there's a whole literature about how the uh, the rich in the South have manipulated the poor whites in the South. So you see these patterns moving through history, and I say, there's a way here of seeing something you might want to call a force of evil, which moves through the human world. Go ahead. And I, I think this is a perfect tie-in to the last article, because where you talk about uh, who really benefited from uh, from what the Confederacy did. And it sure as hell wasn't ultimately the average poor white person. Never did, never will, and it continues today. If we take a look at the, the rural areas here in, in Texas or around the country where most white people or a large percentage of white people still live, they're the ones losing hospitals because their red Republican government refused to accept the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act. And we can go policy after policy after policy that hurts right, them so, worse than it hurts the blue states. Well, if it doesn't hurt them worse, it, it, I mean, their their position on climate change, just taking that one yes. big issue, you know, the children and grandchildren of red and blue alike are going to suffer the consequences of what the exactly. Republican Party does on that issue. Exactly. Now, the, the, the last story that that, that our, our article that I think we, we merged together here to make this con co cohesive, a better human story, because, again, understanding this does create that is the spirit that drove us to civil war is back. And that's a dangerous article, because uh, what you're actually saying from that article, or if one takes that article, the next step, you'll say that we are on the edge of going either side. And when we talk about civil war, a lot of people say, oh, we're not going to civil war. We're not necessarily talking about where a whole bunch of Republicans pick up arms and a whole bunch of Democrats pick up arms. There are many forms in which civil wars occur that yeah. has nothing to do with two armies going against each other. And, you know, and if we ended up with an authoritarian regime because the way the political battle played out in terms of who controls, say, the Justice Department? Before we go that there, is though, a, that is a battlefield which can result in a nonviolent transformation of a society because of a coup d'état. Right, but Doc, I want I want to take your article in the way you wrote it because I love the way you wrote it and the way you okay. wrote it. You actually, you act the, the way you wrote it was like given those similarities during. Now we're seeing this. And during the Civil War time, we saw this. Given that sort of a map, let's go over those. In both cases, we see an elite insisting on their liberty, by which they mean freedom to dominate. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're, they are always interested in removing any kind of uh, constraints on their actions, whether it be legal constraints or whatever. If they're, you know, if they're the plutocracy, they don't want regulation. They, they don't want to have to reduce their amassing of wealth in order to serve the public good or the common good. 
You know, that's what regulation is, ideally. Uh, you, you can't leave it to giant corporations to determine what kind of impact they're going to have on the environment because right. the system is not set up to even enable them to make the responsible decisions in a competitive market. So you need to have a, a governmental regulation that says thou shalt not discharge, you know, whatever this toxins into the river. Otherwise they'll do that if it's cheaper than doing something responsible. So you need absolutely. So so their their liberty that the that the uh, chamber of commerce is always trying to get is the freedom to destroy the world around us if that's how they make the most money, and we can't let that. Now, interestingly, the other the other topic in both cases, the use of the structures of American democracy was combined with a contempt for the democratic values that inspired our founders. Before, before you address that, I want to ask you to address it in a, in a context that you didn't address it in your document. Um, I, I am very concerned, uh, even with, let's say, progressives like yourself, uh, for all practical purposes, given the founders a pass. In other words, um, you're correct that the founders did believe in some modicum of democracy, but I don't know how far away they are or they were from some of the anti-democratic behavior, the anti-democratic modal of the Republican Party of today. Please go at it. So what was the, the main thing you wanted me to address? There? In both cases, the use of structures of American democracy was combined with a contempt for the democratic values that inspired the founders. I would have ended that, that sentence uh, at with the contempt for the democratic values, period. Well, as for the faults of our founders, I, I really don't, I don't think that the, that that's, I mean, yeah, we can, we can write books about, you know, white men of property and all that stuff. So, but I think what's important about the founders, if you look at it in the context of history, is the 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 rather almost superhuman step that they took in a certain direction not that they left behind the the, the corrupt aspects of the uh, of the world out of which they emerged no they didn't but what was important was that they had words that uh, that that developed a, a greater power than they'd ever had, like all men are created equal. And the, the government derives its just powers from the sen consent of the governed. That's what's important about those guys. But the, so what, what we see happening in cultures is always that there's this battle between the forces that make things more broken and the forces that make things more whole. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson with his slaves and his, his all men are created equal. He was obviously uh, contained aspects of both sets of forces. You know, he, 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 he was caught uh, in contradictions that he wasn't able to resolve. And that, but he, that did, is, that... he did He did articulate the morally corrupting aspects of being a slaveholder. Right now, and I think it's important for, you know, for folks like myself and others 
who live in this society where a lot of the a, a, a lot of the discretion the indiscretions of the past still holds true it is important for us to always in my opinion make note of that and not give the impression you know I'm, uh, the reason why some uh, the, that football player that knelt uh during the star spangled banner the reason why so many people felt comfortable to attack him was because they didn't know our history. They didn't realize that this third verse, I believe, of the Star Spangled Banner was about killing, uh, killing Black folks. They didn't know those things. So I think it's important for those of us who know that to see it articulated specifically from progressives on this okay, issue. But let, let's move on let, to let the, me tie, Let me tie that in with, with, with that, that other thing about uh, exploiting... Um, being undemocratic in mm -hmm. the south the after say 1830 um the 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 dominant elite started becoming uh increasingly um defensive uh about the the slave system um and uh they they were not believers they were happy with all the power that the constitutional system put in their hands, which is another thing. And you know, the constitution made those people the most, the dominant factor in America up until the civil war. That's, that's another question, but they, they were, uh, those people did not, they were happy to reap the rewards of our democracy to the extent to which we had one. But they were not willing to abide, even in the 1830s and 40s, by some of the fundamental principles of the democracy, which is they banned anti-slavery literature from the males. Mm -hmm. That is not consistent with the First Amendment. I mean, it is patently unconstitutional, but that's how it was. And likewise, in our times, this re-emergence of that same force with its lust for power, they have shown themselves, well, in, in the last couple of years, willing to back a, a coup d'etat. In, in 1916, when a given result makes their guy president, it's a legitimate election. But in 2020, when the other guy wins the election, to hell with that. We're going exactly. to vote against the certification of the, of the legitimate electors because we insist that elections matter only when it gives us power. And we deny the validity of any election in which we're defeated, like Kerry Lake still does. Like your last, uh, the last point of your article, and we're kind of running up on time right now, it says, in both cases, the powerful elite in the grip of the destructive force refused to accept that in a democracy, kind of mimicking what you're talking about, in a in in a democracy, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and sometimes you have to accept being governed by a duly elected president you don't like. Let me let me take a couple of steps into the the biggest level of abstraction within which I think this is properly understood. These political battles represent a battle between two basic approaches to the the terribly important problem of power in one 
the few tyrannize the many. In the other, the few are empowered by the many to serve them. That is the fundamental thing. But even more fundamental than that, when we see these kinds of forces, one of which uh, leads to corruption and exploitation and human suffering, and one of which leads to the possibilities for a decent life lived where problems are dealt with nonviolently and people are not plagued by the wars that stain human history for thousands of years. We actually are looking at one dimension of a clash between two coherent forces, one of which makes the human world better, one of which makes the human world worse, and the two of which interact in a way which aligns quite remarkably closely with what has traditionally been understood as the battle between good and evil. You can give it other names, but this there are two coherent forces. They can be seen. One of the manifestations of the, that coherence is the way something like the spirit that drove us to civil war can survive a century and a half, gradually keeping itself alive in the interstices of the culture, and then finding a way to converge and take over a major component of the American power system, just like it did in the 1850s and leading to the civil war. Dr. Andy Schmuckler, thank you so kindly for that. We'll continue with our series. Uh, the next one, folks, going to be good. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs>